Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Wretched Saint Radio, where we discuss theology, apologetics, and everything in between regarding the Christian faith and practice. I'm your host, Sean Northcraft, and with me today, I have my co-host, Paul Campy. Today, we're going to be discussing, does theology matter? But before we can dive in, first, it needs to be defined. Theology is the ordered, systematic study of God and of God's relation to his creatures. This takes many different types or forms, uh, such as philosophical theology, biblical theology, systematic theology, dogmatic theology, just to name a few. For example, philosophical theology attempts to discern what could be known about God without presupposing any particular revelation or church teaching as authoritative. Biblical theology attempts to develop theology out of the study of biblical texts, and it comes in more specific forms such as New Testament theology, Pauline theology, Markan theology, and so on. Systematic theology draws on both biblical and philosophical theology to develop a comprehensive account of God and his relations to the world. Dogmatic theology attempts to do theology from the perspective of the teachings or dogmas of the church or specific churches. This is given by the Pocket Dictionary of Apologetics and Philosophy of Religion by Stephen Evans. But when we study these different types of theology, whatnot, there's subsets within that theology. Uh, for example, you have theology proper, which is the study of God, his knowledge, his attributes, uh, his will, providence, etc. Then you have anthropology, which is the study of man. Christology, the study of Christ. Pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. Soteriology, which is a big one, uh, the study of salvation. How is salvation, salvation brought about? Uh, then you have ecclesiology, which is the study of the church. And eschatology, the study of the last things. Now, everyone lands on different aspects uh, when it comes to these subsets or subtopics within theology. But some people altogether try to avoid theology because they believe it can be divisive. And uh, Paul and I have experienced that within our own lives, uh, within our own time in ministry, within the church, different churches, so on and so forth. Paul, you want to give some experience? Well, I guess growing up in the charismatic uh, uh, stem of the church, uh, which not to knock on any particular group, but um, I was always kind of taught that theology, or it was uh, just a given that theology was not necessarily a, a good thing to get wrapped up into. Um, but I didn't really know what the true definition of it was, and, and I think that um, what happens is you end up leaning more towards the dogmatic side of things you know trying to uh, look at perspectives of teachings of uh, different specific groups and, and movements and trying to emulate and, um, and and that can be a negative or a stumbling block you know God's always doing something in a new way uh, not always the old but um, at the same time we we shouldn't teach new, new, new all the time either. We should always, he's always the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word never changes. So 
uh, it's just a matter of, of getting a balance between the two and understanding the terms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, understanding the terms is a big one. Um, just for my own experience, um, like I remember one time I brought to you uh, Systematic Theology by uh, Louis Burkhoff, and uh, someone saw it and like theology, I, I, I don't need theology. I got the Holy Spirit, you know, um, I got that neology, um, but which is good. Which is good, of course. You know, you, it shouldn't be a replacement of theology. Exactly. Right. Um, I think they go hand in hand, and to neglect one um, is a fallacy in of itself. Absolutely. Um, so I'm 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 there, and and I'm thinking to myself, this is a theology of its own. You know. Um, to, to say, oh, I don't need theology. I have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give me guidance, which the Spirit does. But that in it of itself is theology. Um, and that could be divisive. Correct, yeah. Uh, there's new theologies popping up every, everywhere, you know, every day. Um, many churches are labeled by what they preach. And, and uh, you know, you have... All kinds of theologies. Technically, they're dogmas, but the new the new word is uh, you know we use it theology for for what they preach. You know whether it's word of faith or um, uh, the new apostolic reformation reformation theology or prosperity gospel. You know all these new terms that we're hearing everywhere. Those are are theologies and and dogmas, mm -hmm. so to speak. So I guess what we're going to try to do today first off is to explain truly what theology is so that we don't have misconceptions yeah and, and just push it aside yeah um regardless of one's view everyone everyone every single person whether they are a christian uh buddhist islamic agnostic or even atheist um everyone is a theologian because everyone has their own view and understanding of God, of who God is, um, how God relates to their life and to the world. So without even knowing or realizing it, everyone's a theologian. Um, and a lot of people who say that they don't want anything to do with theology are really speaking from their own traditions um, rather than what God has spoken in a scripture yeah and a lot of times they're coming from a sincere point of view or sincere heart yeah you know they believe what they believe uh and they have no reason to doubt or question and and in their eyes that's having strong faith which is good but um so we're not knocking any of those people out there that are actually have that viewpoint it's just a matter of truly understanding the necessity to be an apologist to everyone, yeah. everywhere, to to be a better witness, mm -hmm. um, you know. So that's we're just here to encourage. Yeah, and you know, depending on your view of these certain things, is really going to affect the way that you live out your Christian life, um, to how it's going to affect your preaching. It's going to affect your teaching. Your uh, Dr. Steve Lawson once said, 
your theology will ultimately affect your doxology, your yeah, view. Expression. Yeah. Your expression, uh, your view, um, of who God is, your understanding of God and what he has done and how he has done it. So on and so forth is going to affect your worship of him yeah. and how you flesh that worship out, you know, whether in song or in just practical, um, life application, you know, um, but you also have to have a proper understanding of this theology from God's word. It's the good news. Yes. And when you, you know, especially when you become a Christian and you've been in your Christian walk for some time, uh, you sometimes you have your highs and your lows and we end up judging or, or analyzing our walk based on, you know, the blessings that we receive or how good things are going and, uh, Proper theology, scriptural wise, shows us that even in our our tough times, we're supposed to be rejoicing. I remember that for years, you know, I was always being taught love, love, love uh, in Jesus, and we're supposed to be in love with Jesus. And and as a guy, you know, I over time kind of, I guess, started seeing that in a different manner and having a hard time with it because, uh, you know, for, just in my mind saying that I love somebody all the time and I'm in love with this person and, and it is Jesus and I am, but I had to reevaluate why I was in love with Jesus, mm -hmm. you know, and I was a Christian and I was uh, delivered and, and, and supernaturally transformed. But there just becomes that, uh, you know, that state of in your walk where you can sometimes forget what the true gospel really is. Mm -hmm. And, uh, until you start digging and, and searching again and understanding truly one of those things that you said, one of those um, uh, forms, which is soteriology and the study of salvation and how that works, you know, and how that plays out. Then I started to understand again why I'm in love with Jesus mm -hmm. and why I, I, you know, I devote my life to him. And it, it isn't until we get to those points in life sometimes, you know, we can just get into our mundane routines and we can just read the scriptures, uh, but we're not putting them in, 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 in application as to, you know, how it's written in the text and to where we actually understand it fully. So in my studies of uh, theology, I've been able to, to understand and every day just rejoice, mm -hmm. give God the glory and the thanks, not just for the good things in life, but, but for truly truly the the plan that he put together mm -hmm. from the beginning to the end you know and and it's a salvific plan for all of us and um yeah it just makes me more appreciative yeah absolutely and it's going along with what you said is you know within our experiences when you understand what god has done what he has accomplished through the cross and resurrection of Christ and not only that through the life of Christ right his birth life death burial resurrection everything um, it all has an effect but the thing is is that that also as you were saying should help us understand when bad things happen you know we don't only rejoice in the good things but we also rejoice in our suffering right um, 
you know, when, when the Paul talks about that so much in the new Testament. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But you have, but you do have pastors, preachers and teachers who, who say we're not meant to suffer. We're not called to suffer. Um, I rebuke suffering or, or if you are suffering or you're not prospering or things aren't going good in your life, there must be sin in your life or there must be something when God didn't do anything, you must have done something. Yeah. Which we should be self-analyzing all the time, you know, walking in repentance. Exactly. But um, there are times when bad things happen. God mm-hmm. allows them to happen, and he uses those for his glory, for, for our strength. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and um, there's always a plan that he has going on that we can't see. So yeah. we are to rejoice even in those tough times. Yeah, I mean, uh, Paul talks about that in, in, in Romans 8. You know, he says, for we know that God works all things together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And when you read chapter eight, he's literally talking about the suffering of the saints and that we shouldn't have to worry about the suffering because we find our joy. um, We find our sanctification in that suffering. Because we are being conformed to the image of Christ, that suffering isn't isn't in of itself worthless. It's worth something. It's leading to something. It's doing something. But someone's understanding of their tradition, rather than base or basing their theology on their tradition, rather than on the scriptures, mm-hmm. will fall into into that. They'll fall into the understanding that we're not supposed to suffer well if we're not supposed to suffer then you're dismissing the entire testimony of the scripture Um, and we need to wrestle with that fact as christians we need to come to the scripture and say what does the scripture have to say about this not not how i feel uh, not my tradition not my philosophical views although we are philosophical right um, but our philosophy should be grounded in the testimony of Scripture itself because it's God's revealed word to us. Um, I remember uh, one time with, with one of my experiences in, in ministry that you had someone who was approached in gentleness and in love and was brought about correction. To something that they were preaching and teaching, which isn't evident in the scriptures. It might be evident if you're pulling certain texts, proof texts, or looking at a dogma. Right? Or yeah, the the back of yeah. Um, and you're pulling these texts out as proof texts without the context of the text. So that just for terms out there for any theologians that are listening, that would be called eisegeting the scripture or the text, as opposed to exegeting the text for what it's actually saying in yep. its context. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're going to get into that a little bit right. That's later. That's another whole nother episode. Yeah. 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 And we'll touch on it a little bit in, in this episode as well. But, you know, it's when that person was addressed, they said, the Holy Spirit has revealed it to me. I don't need the word. So divine revelation over... The scripture itself. Yeah, which is God's 
divine revelation. Right. You know, and it's not so much that they said, I don't need the word. The way that they said it was the scriptures are insufficient. Therefore, I rely on the Holy Spirit. Or they're saying that the the original meaning or context of, of the scripture is insufficient as opposed to the revelatory, the new revelatory word that I was given by the Spirit, which is uh, that <laughs> that's another good debate. Yeah, it is. Uh, but yeah, keep going. Sorry. No, no, it was. But I remember saying, give me scripture for, for this teaching that you're giving. And their response was, my faith tells me. Their response was, it was a divine new revelation from the Spirit. Meaning, again, that the scriptures were insufficient for their theology. This It's like as if the scriptures had to be cast aside or it, it's treated like you know, a Burger King menu where you pick and choose certain things to have it your way when that's not God's way, honestly. Um, but why is it, why is it important um, as Christians not to avoid theology? Because we already, we already established that there are people who do avoid theology because they believe it's divisive or it doesn't line up with their tradition not knowing that that is a theology in of itself for themselves. Um, but why is it important that we should not avoid theology? Well, it, it's, it's, it's important because for the Christian to obtain, maintain, and proclaim a proper and biblical understanding of essential Christian truths. Um, you know, how, how you were saying earlier is um, apologetics. Right. All Christians are called not only to be disciples and disciple makers, evangelists, you know, proclaiming God's word, whatnot, but all Christians are called to be theologians. All Christians are called to be apologists. Um, proper biblical theology is a good thing. Uh, it, it's it's taught in God's word. Uh, for example, uh, we're called to mature in the faith, which is part of our sanctification. Uh, we see this in. John 17, verse 17, Jesus says, sanctify, excuse me, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So we see that our, our Christian maturity, our, our sanctification is to be brought about through God's word. Right. And, you know, it's not only this, but um, not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament. The New Testament was seen as God's word, even during the times of the apostles. We see that evident in their, in their letters, that their letters were authoritative and divinely inspired. Um, we're, so we're not only called to be apologists and theologians by maturing in the faith, but to defend the faith, right? Scripture calls us to defend the faith. First uh, Peter uh, 3.15 says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness yeah, and, and fear. And Paul even expresses concern. Uh, you would know the text probably, um, what scripture, but he 
he says that if anyone comes to you and preaches a different gospel, whether uh, they come and say that they're me or they're an angel or, or anyone, and it's not the gospel that I gave you, yeah. then uh, call yeah. them accursed. And uh, you you can expound on it in a second, but it reminds me of uh, Acts, um, Acts chapter 17, verse 11, Paul and Silas, that um, they go to the city of Berea and... Uh, the inhabitants of Berea were were scholars, and uh, they were receiving Paul and Silas's word. And they searched. It says they searched the scriptures daily, mm -hmm. uh, whether the things that they were saying were so in the books. Mm -hmm. So they were even testing Paul and Silas, and and Paul encouraged them to do so. So he even encourages us to to test and to search the scriptures for the true meaning. And not for any other doctrine or or dogma or theology, uh, you know, that somebody else is giving that it lines up with the text. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, doctrine, dogma, creeds; those are not bad things. You know, those are those are things to help the Christian stay on the path. Right. They're just not theology. They are uh, creeds, especially. They are there to say, okay. These are things that we believe, so we don't forget. They were created for the church to, as a daily reminder of why we are Christians, mm -hmm. biblically. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, they're in in of itself, you know, creeds and doctrines and and, and and dogmas. They there is theology within it, but that theology was rooted in the scriptures. Right. You know, it's like when you when you read um, in in Acts when. They came together, right? The Jerusalem Council. They came together and they were talking about the Gentiles. You know, should they be circumcised? Should they not be circumcised? Um, should they abstain from this or that? And and what did they do? They went to the scriptures, and based on what the scriptures had to say, and prophesied, that led to their answer, uh, and so. The same thing lies within the creeds and confession of the historical Christian faith is they're more like someone ex once explained to me that they're, they're like guardrails, right? It's like you're driving down the highway and those they're, they're guardrails to keep you on the road is to keep you from falling into, so dare I say, you, heretical teachings. What would you say to, I can already think of uh, something that I, you know, uh, would in my past probably have questioned or have been asked but okay so basically you're saying they're looking to the to the law when it was in the old of the new testament because they're looking to the scriptures and the scriptures were not documented at the time but they were re referencing to the old testament or to the law mm -hmm. um and so peter was looking to the law so to speak especially before uh, the holy spirit came to him and and showed him uh the vision and, and then later Paul corrects him, but to tell him that it was okay and that there was no unclean thing that he couldn't eat anymore. So that was a divine revelation by the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. you know, that Peter needed. So does that revelation, that's, I'm just saying, that's an example of a revelation mm -hmm. that trumped the old covenant and the old law. Well, I wouldn't say that it necessarily trumped it. Well, I'm saying like the viewpoint of maybe like a, a hyper charismatic type of yeah. dogma teaching. Yeah, I would say that would be a, a fair assessment. Um, but 
like how we were saying before is a proper understanding of what Christ accomplished, you know, as a fulfillment, all right, of the Old Testament scriptures is what led to that revelation to Peter, um, you know, on that rooftop, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it was really a, a fulfillment of the spirit saying, don't say unclean, what, don't call something unclean that I have already made clean or declared clean um, through what Christ accomplished. Um, so like how you and I were saying earlier, that's why it's so important to have a proper understanding, especially um, soteriology, you know, the, the, the study of salvation uh, and Christology, you know, the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. But all of those things coincide with one another. It's not like we need to nitpick certain aspects of theology. They all coincide with one another. And depending on our understanding of each of those things, it's kind of like a, it's really kind of like a domino effect really um because if you if you have a certain understanding of man and the fall of man or the sinfulness of man that's really going to affect how you view jesus's atoning work on the cross but going back to what what you were saying before yeah you actually said one of the scriptures that i had here um, for defending the faith, Acts 17, 11. Now, uh, these were no, uh, more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Uh, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. I want to point out something here in this verse. It says, now these were more noble-minded than those, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. What does it mean to be noble-minded? To be noble-minded is to receive the word of God with great eagerness. Yeah, good point. Right? It's to receive the word of God with great eagerness to examine the scriptures to see whether these things are so. So it's not like, oh, I'm hearing someone preach. You know, you want to receive that with eagerness, but also there is a, it's two sides to one coin. You know, if you're hearing someone preach to be noble minded is to receive that word with eagerness, but you're also testing that word through this with the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah. Just to piggyback on that, uh, Ephesians four reminds me, I'm going to read it here. And he gave the apostles and the prophets, evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, which is, you know, exactly what we're saying. It's to become a mature Christian mm -hmm. to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint. Which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that's that's really our, our heart. Yeah. You know, uh, we just want to see 
the church. Uh, we want to be a part of with this podcast, with with the church and, and the future of the church. Um, God's coming back with, for a church without spot or wrinkle, and I, I truly feel that it's a church that also is not uh, pushed and, and moved by every little form of, of dogma, wind, or doctrine, or theology, mm-hmm. but keeping it keeping it biblical. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Just because something God used something or did something in a movement uh, or in a, a revival setting or uh, uh, he healed in a certain way or, or performed a miracle or done something supernatural, he doesn't always work in the same way. So we got to stop trying to emulate all the time uh, what Brownsville did or or what uh, the Toronto or what happened at the Toronto Blessing. Or you know, when you really get into church history. And, and you study uh, revivals and different things like that, or, or you get into the pioneers of, of uh, whatever movement. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to just say Pentecostalism, but whatever movement. You can go back into you know, um, the Great Awakenings and Wesley and, and all, Scof- all the different, not Schofield, f- forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely was not a part, but we'll, we'll, get, into, we'll get into some of that later. But uh, yeah, uh, we got to just stop trying to, to be copycat Christians. And God wants to do something new that is that is totally a true statement, that we need to be ready for the new, but we need to be rooted and grounded in true, true biblical theology. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and that leads to um, another point here is to contend for the faith. Right. So we said that we must mature in the faith. We must defend the faith and contend for the faith. But how do we contend for the faith? We contend for the faith by exposing, refuting, rebuking and correcting theological error in a loving manner, in a loving manner. Right. right? With, with salt. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Within a loving, gentle not with manner. hot sauce, just with a little salt. <laughs> yes. And that, that, you know, coming from a person that loves hot sauce, my uh, son would would get that. <laughs> um, no, I, I I agree absolutely. But sometimes, you know, you, it, it has to be tough Otherwise love. Otherwise, we get indigestion, or, or maybe some <laughs> maybe something worse. <laughs> maybe know, something a worse. Little salt. It's like it's I did not salt. mean to get to this point here, but yeah. here I am. Do everything in love. That's what yeah. the scripture says. Yeah. yeah. Um, everything in love, but sometimes, you know, it has to be tough love. Yeah. Um, because when you need to bring about correction, I, I, I would, I would approach this, but not divisive, not divisive. Right. Absolutely. Um, but sometimes, you know, God's word does divide. Yeah. I mean, um, even Jesus says, you know, um, well, yeah. I mean, look what he did when, with the, uh, when they were making a mockery of the temple. I mean, there are times to be zealous for sure. Yeah. But um, he is God and we are not. And, and so that is where being led by the Spirit really comes into play. And, yeah. and, and being led by the Spirit, he's definitely not going to, if it's truly the Holy Spirit, he's not going to deviate from his word and, and make us or tell us to do something that doesn't back up in Scripture yeah. with, the, with the right attitude yeah. or, or the right countenance. Yeah. You know, we're always supposed to do it in love. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I think about when Paul confronted Peter, yeah, um, because you know they were they were sitting down and having sharing a meal, you know, and sharing a meal is very intimate, you know, it's 
It's a time where you sit down with your family and friends um, and, you know, discussing, you know, what happened, you know, to you today or, you know, just whatever you talk about. Mm -hmm. So you have um, you have them sitting down eating. But then when Peter realizes that men from Jerusalem came in, he got up and he went to go sit down with them rather than they didn't want to be seen eating with the Gentiles. Right. right? And what does Paul do? Paul gets up and he rebukes him to his face. Well, yeah, in front of everyone. <laughs> in front of but everyone. He also did it uh, in front of everyone as a, a witness and testimony. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. It was it was a the way I see it, it was a teaching moment. Right. You know, he got up, he rebuked him to his face in front of everyone. He approached it directly. You mean he rebuked the rock? Yeah. Like you, Peter, you are the rock. And upon this rock, I built my church. Well, I would disagree with that uh, statement. Or, or oh, what do you mean? We'll get it. We'll, well, yeah, that's good. That's a rabbit hole. We'll get into that in, in another episode. But, you know, he, he approached it in such a way to where he brought correction face to face and other people saw it. And it was to bring about correction to them as well, but I also see it as edifying the body, you know, because if you see someone, especially in the early church establishment, yeah, yeah. Um, especially if you see someone in a role of leadership, I mean, let's be real. He's, he's talking to Peter here. So Peter is in a role of leadership in the early church. So you're saying is that Paul was explaining to Peter that even the Gentiles, there were some that were elect. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't just for the Jews. No, no, it wasn't. I see what you're doing. You want to go down to that, that rabbit hole? I'm just but, trying to, I'm watching you as, as you're speaking and, and getting the reaction. Yeah, um, but, you know, it, it, it brings about edification for the body, too. And especially in a role of leadership, if you have someone within a church in a role of leadership, especially preaching or teaching, some form of eldership, right? Um, who is preaching and teaching and they are not doing it correctly, whether it's in word or action, correction needs to be brought about. Now, whether you do it, how you go about it is a different story. Like you and I discuss, it needs to be done in gentleness and in love. And sometimes it needs to be done in front of people. Absolutely. The way that I would, the way that I would see it is, it's the same way if someone was, you know, caught in sin, right? Paul tells us to go to them and speak to them about it. If they won't listen, then you go with someone else, right? For as a witness. Um, and then also, if that doesn't do anything, then you bring it about before the congregation. And I think that is a proper way of addressing these things, especially for someone who's in a role of leadership. Um, and when it comes to certain things, you know, um, you know, how you were saying, you know, we, we want to rely on the spirit and, but you'll have people who say, oh, well, I don't want to put God in a box. You know, God can do what he wants to do. He's God. He doesn't need to be put in a box. So if this Holy Spirit wants to run rampant in a church service and, Everyone's going to be speaking in tongues and no one's interpreting. 
you can't put God in a box. And I would say um, God puts himself in a box according to his word. Because when Paul talks about something like this, he says that there should be uh, no more than two or three persons within the assembly speaking in tongues, one in one in turn, right? So it's not all at once. It's no more than two or three and each in their own turn. And there must be an interpreter. So that's 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 an example of what you and I are saying is that you know God still does work today. You know, um, you have some people who are cessationists who you know believe that the the gifts of of the gifts have ceased. Yeah, well, but not all the gifts. More so, like well, the gifts of healing, the gifts of tongues. Yeah, yeah, you have mainly the the apostolic gifts, which would be which they would say is the gifts of miraculous healing, uh, speaking in tongues, and the gift of prophecy. Um, but you have people who are like continuationists, how you and I are, um, who would say, "Well, no, those those gifts are still for today." Mm-hmm. But then again, that's a that's a secondary issue. That's not something that we should divide over. However. What I would say would would and should cause division is if those gifts are being used in such a way that is not prescribed biblically. So if you have a church service and you're telling everyone that they need to be speaking in tongues and everyone's speaking in, in tongues, that's, you know, you can have a congregation of 50 or 100 people speaking in tongues. That's not what God says in his word, and there's no interpretation. So that's where I would say a line needs to needs to be drawn, because if that's happening, I would say that it's not really of the Holy well, Spirit. Would, and, and to play devil's advocate on mm-hmm. the other side, especially in the uh, you know Pentecostal forums, I would I would say that a lot of times they would classify functioning in those manners in service. Because again, they've been doing it for quite some time now as part of their doxology, that it, it worked in the past. Uh, what would you say to the person that would say, okay, that was uh, when they read the scriptures and they get into the culture issue? You know, that was for that time, uh, not necessarily for today. You know, uh, like uh, you know when you get into uh, the head coverings or other subjects like um, complementarianism and egalitarianism, mm-hmm. you know, should women preach? Um, there's all types of subjects that we actually, because we've taken those issues and created them or, or said that they are culture issues and we live in a different time and place today, that we, uh, we can kind of uh, read into the text and apply it to today's society, to today's way of living, today's culture. And, and, Basically, we're making it a culture issue. So it's mm-hmm. a different time and a different place. How do you decipher what is what? Well, short answer would be because a long answer would just be needed for a whole another episode. But the short answer would be God and God's word has always been and always will be countercultural. That's transcendent. Because... His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So if you approach something, like like I said, 
approaching something that way is not based with a foundation in scripture. Plain and simple. If you're approaching the text from with preconceived ideas or notions of your culture and you read something and you're like, you know what? I don't really agree with that. So I'm going to go ahead and change it because it doesn't really pertain to my culture. But God's word is countercultural. I mean, that's what it was. That's in, in, in essence, that's what it was about when he chose Israel as his elect people. They were to be countercultural compared to the nations. You know, he said, don't do this for they do this. Don't do that because they do that. Right, yeah, right. you are set apart. So how we live out our lives, whether in our homes or within the church, within the assembly, is supposed to be countercultural. That is how one of the ways we are to be distinguished. Someone should be able to walk into a church service and say, this is different than what the culture says around me. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be... So not necessarily you're saying appealing being appealing to the world i yeah. think a lot of churches do that though because they they want them to feel comfortable they want the world to come and, and and visit and hear the good news but they want them to be comfortable but there's a fine line there is a fine line but the thing is is that the the church and we need to remember this is that the assembly right when we gather on sunday morning or wednesday night or whenever you gather the gathering of the body of Christ is meant for the body of Christ. It's not meant for those who are outside of the faith. So we can't dictate our the way that we approach. So you're saying we need to take our evangelical hats off, so to speak, when we're coming to service. Yeah. Well, no, not not. I mean, that's not the ultimate goal. Not even. I wouldn't even say evangelical because I mean, the read the Book of Acts. I mean. The, the apostles were evangelical, but they didn't go out, you know, appealing to others based on their culture or whatnot. You know, um, they were rooted in God's word. Right. And they went about. They, yeah, they went out and preaching and teaching, you know, but when you read it, a lot of the times they were in the synagogue. They went to the synagogue. They went to the temple. That's where they were preaching so and teaching. For a reading of the scriptures. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so if you want to go out on the street and you want to evangelize, right? You want to talk to somebody about the scriptures and get into philosophy and science and all that stuff. That's fine and dandy. But the point I'm trying to make is when you come into a church building and you come into a Sunday morning service, that service should be ran for the magnification of God glorifying his name and for the edification of the church of the body of christ it shouldn't be ran in such a way in order for it to be appealing to the world because we're called to be not of the world and if someone comes to the church you don't want them to have some type of emotional experience based on the church appealing to their wants right your approach should be their needs people know what they want but they don't always know what they need and what they need is jesus christ what they need is the gospel 
And what they need is a proper preaching and proclamation of that gospel. So, again, the, 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 the assembly of the body is for the body. Plain and simple. Um, and, and that's where it comes to um, contending for the faith. Uh, Jude 3, right? Verse 3 says, While I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write you, exhorting that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Ephesians 5.11 And do not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even expose them. And in 2 Timothy 2.25 With gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may give them repentance, leading to the full knowledge of the truth. Yeah. Because honestly, it gets to the point to where if you're doing things in such a way that are contrary to the scriptures and to how God has called it to be done, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Right? And by grieving the Holy Spirit, you're bringing it upon yourself in such a way, I would say, a type of hardening. A type of hardening. My that, cat. That wasn't me. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's my cat. Sorry, everyone. What's I have mean? a blinky. Blinky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bro, that's your phone. Huh? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, so you're saying proclaim the faith through the preaching of the word as the primary means of defending and preserving truth, which, yeah. Um, I also wanted to share, uh, Proverbs 27. I mean, this is probably, I should wait a little bit, but, um, give me one second. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. I was going to say this at the end, but I think I, I'm just feeling led to, to, to share this now. Mm -hmm. um, but wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses and yes we contend for the faith we refute we rebuke we correct in theological error 100% um, and just taking instead of just taking one scripture here and there for you know uh, falling into to the habit of what we do all the time as Christians you know sometimes we we, we were trained. I mean, not, not trained, but I grew up having the, the little uh, bread of life on the table. You know, it's not a bad thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's just things become like Christianese after a while. And you grow up in the, in the morning, you, you pick out your scripture, and you read it, uh, and it's your scripture of the day, and you meditate on that scripture. And, and, the only, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with it. But that's technically not uh, studying the scripture. You know, it's it's reading a truth and meditating on it, and and the Holy Spirit speaks to us through those scriptures. But at the same time, there's a necessity to keep things in order, and uh, we can't read scripture doesn't contradict itself, mm -hmm. but it transcends. And so, even though there's a scripture that says expose, refute, rebuke, and correct. Proverbs also says, 
wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So taking both of those in context, we, we refute and we rebuke and we expose, but we do it in love. Yeah. You know, and, and we need to understand that when it's, uh, we're refuting and rebuking, if anybody out there feels that we would be targeting in any way, which we're not, uh, this is just a, uh, an opening discussion on what theology is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's done in the most, uh, loving manner. Uh, that's all we're trying to say. Yeah. I, I, I agree. It has to be done in a loving manner. Um, and it's biblical, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's the entire authority of scripture. You know, we can't, I just, I keep wanting to hammer in on this uh, isogeting and exogeting. I can't wait till we get yeah. into that discussion. Yeah. But. Um, and, so we'll get into it right now because we got about 10 minutes left. Um, so the last point I want to make, so we made three points so far. We went over uh, maturing in the faith. Uh, we're called to defend the faith. We're called to contend for the faith. And then we're called to proclaim the faith um, through the preaching of the word as a primary means primary means the word of God's scriptures of defending and preserving the truth the scriptures are the primary means second Timothy uh, 1 14 guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you second uh, Timothy 4 2 through 4 preach the word be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke exhort with great patience and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with what? Their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Or formulas. I'm not, I'm not adding to the scripture, but I'm just yeah, saying, or yeah, formulas. Yeah. Here's your, your four points for today. If you do these things, uh, you will achieve your ultimate goal. Yeah. But how does this happen? Like, how do we do it? And like how you're saying, through proper hermeneutics and exegesis. What is hermeneutics? Well, hermeneutics, basically you're approaching the scriptures um, with the intent of understanding the authorial intent. What did the author mean? And to whom? Yeah. What audience was it written to? Yeah. Um, the authorial intent and that we apply proper her hermeneutics through accurate exegesis. Instead of eisegesis is what you mentioned and, earlier. And that is because there are many different types of uh, textual uh, writings in in the Bible. You know, you have poetry, you have historical, you have allegory, right? Um, eschatological or, you know, due to end times, uh, revelatory uh, poems. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's all different types of literature. Mm -hmm. and, and when we read different types of literature today, we compartmentalize it. We know what we're saying. You know, we know that when we pick up the menu at the restaurant, we're reading the menu. Yeah. We know that when we pick up, a, uh, not that I do it anymore, but when I was, a, a, you know, younger, pick up a comic book, I was reading a comic book or, or a fictional book. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're an autobiography or if you're uh, picking up a newspaper, you know what you're reading. Yeah. If, if you are reading something from uh, uh, law or uh, medical field, you know, there are different types of documentations and, and we know we put ourselves 
in those compartments when we start to read those different types of materials. Yeah. Um, and, and we need to understand that when we attack the text, too, because the Bible is a accumulation of, of a lot of different texts. Mm -hmm. And it is the living word. It is God's word. It is inspired, divinely inspired. I'm not you know, saying that it isn't, um, but uh, we still need to understand who the author was writing to at the time and for what reason. And it does transcend to today, but we need to keep it in context. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. So it's hermeneutics, hermeneutics through accurate exegesis instead of eisegesis. Well, all right, you're saying these words, but what are they? Um, uh, hermeneutics is a science of interpretive rules on the basis of exegesis, which is the application of various skillful disciplines that consider and incorporate original languages, direct and succeeding audiences, literary contexts, linguistic and grammatical examination, and theology, whether historical, biblical, uh, systematic, uh, just to name a few. Furthermore, it integrates historical, cultural, political, archaeological, and geographical studies. I mean, there's a lot that goes into this um, to properly interpret and apply other scriptures. It's through these disciplines that Christians are able to appropriately recognize and declare the author's intent and meaning, guiding them into proper personal implications and application of it whereas eisegesis is reading a meaning into the text that simply is not there simply is not there and what we end up doing is you know we're we're westerners we live in the richest country in the world and we end up reading it through the lens of you know a westerner uh, mm -hmm. it, or or just uh, our lifestyle you know I remember uh, an evangelist who used to come to our church quite a bit, a friend of ours, um, and he used to always use the term looking at it through God's glasses, you mm -hmm. know, and, and seeing through his glasses. And, and another friend of mine talks about having his God's mindset. You know, those are what we need to do when we're attacking the text, too. You mm -hmm. know, we need to see it through uh, the intent that God was inspiring the text to be written. And, and, and what was going on at the time and who they were writing it to. And it, it's not to say that you can't steal a truth or take the truth and, and apply it to your life. I'm not saying that at all. That's, mm -hmm. you know, but that's not the number one way to read the scriptures is to just everything I read and, and, and claim it. You know, I claim this over my yeah. life. You know, so there, there's there's a happy medium between the two. Yeah. And if you don't exegete it first and read it for what it is first in its context. Yeah. You know, and usually that uh, that that's reading the whole chapter. I mean, the Bible was put into chapters now. You know, since the printing press, we have uh, all these books that were accumulated and they're uh, compartmentalized, yeah. and systematized for us yeah. and by chapter and verse, and helps us yeah. to to remember and, and memorize, but but that's not what they originally were. So you really, to keep it in context, you have to read the letter, most you know, or or the whole, the the chapter before at least, and the yeah. chapter after at yeah. least, and sometimes you know the whole book. Yeah. To really, because you have to take it back to what he was saying in chapter two, as opposed to chapter seventeen. Yeah. You know, God forbid you read Romans and you just pick and choose out of Romans <laughs> what you want, yeah. and and you're not keeping it in its context, and that's yeah. how bad theology gets, uh, you know, created. Yeah.
Uh, we should not approach scripture based on personal thoughts, feelings, or expressions. The context must always allow the text to speak for itself. And that's how we guard ourselves, guard our families, and guard our churches um, from straying from proper theology. Because theology is needed, and theology should be used and implemented. Because whether you agree with it or not, you are a theologian. And all Christians are held accountable, and will be held accountable. Right. Let's be good Marines. Exactly. Well, uh, that's what all we have for today. Um, thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed our very first episode. Uh, we're not in a fancy studio or anything like that. So if you heard anything in the background, um, <laughs> just, just dismiss it. Um, but regardless, uh, we hope that you enjoyed the episode. Uh, once again, uh, Paul and I were just brothers in the Lord and, and, and laymen. Um, we love theology. We love apologetics. Uh, we love studying God's word, and, and we love the Lord. We love the Holy Spirit. And, yeah, uh, I mean that goes without being said. But yeah, of yeah, course, but sometimes I mean, you need to say it for right. for for people. Um, but and then you know, like Paul said earlier, this is for the edification of the body. Yeah. It's it's to um, bring love and edification uh, to the body. The finished uh, work of Christ. Yeah. There's nothing that we can do to obtain salvation. I just want to throw that out there, but we do strive for, for holiness, righteousness, and sanctification. Yeah, it's absolutely. And glory be to God that he who began a good work in us, we are confident that he'll bring it to completion. Amen. Amen. All right, everyone. Have a good day. Peace.